uh, we are beginning uh, today a series called Holiness. And uh, the word holiness has a way of just making us tighten up a little bit. Am I right? But I want, I want to tell you today that, that some of that is because of preconceived ideas that were not based upon God's Word. And so, so this morning, as we dive into this Word of holiness, and I don't know how long this series is going to last. I'm just uh, trying to follow the Lord's leading here, but just suffice it to say, I felt a directive from the Lord to speak on this subject. Now, here's the thing. As I was saying just a moment ago, whenever you approach certain subjects within Scripture, we sometimes come with a certain set of prejudices. We, all, we come to certain subjects with a certain set of stereotypes. And here's what I need you to do today. I, I, I need you to set some of those stereotypes aside and begin to hear again for the first time. So that, that's going to, for some of us, that's going to, you know, that, <laughs> that might be an act of faith, setting some of those stereotypes aside. But I really believe that this is a prophetic word for our congregation. And um, so take a deep breath. <sighs> Remember, God loves you, okay? God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you, right? And so, um, so as we dive into this word, I really believe you're going to be very surprised. I think you're going to be surprised by his great love for you. I think you're going to actually, some of us might actually be shocked by his great love for us. Because the word holy, if we were to be honest, immediately as soon as we hear the word holy, we feel condemnation. Because we think of all of the things in our lives that are not holy. And we think things like, God is going to vaporize me. <laughs> you know? let alone the fact that sometimes we feel like there are some of the things like, like God is somehow holding out on us because we're not quite that. Okay? And so, he, so we're just going to, if we can by faith, can we just set some of those things aside and begin to go on this journey through the Scriptures towards Him? Can you do that this morning with me? Okay, so the first place I want to go to is Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses, whenever he was first called. Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a burning bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. 
But Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why thy bush does not, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Let's pray. Lord, with an attitude of reverence, God, today, we will just want to come before you. Oh, Lord, we just ask today that you take us deeper, deeper into who you are. And Father, as we begin to unpack this word holy, Lord, that, that it would create in us a great love for you. And Lord, that it would and that it would it would call us to hunger and thirst for you, God. Lord, even as the as the deer pants for water, so my soul does long for you, Lord. Let a hunger for you, God, just begin to be aroused, God. May the appetite for you, God, in us be aroused, Lord, to know you more deeply, to know you more fully, Lord. Father, this day, Lord, may we set aside our prejudices about this word. And Lord, and embrace it, God, by faith. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment, for this time. I pray your blessing over each and every one of us, Lord, as we begin to unpack this word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so this moment that we just read about, this encounter with the Lord really stirs the imagination of, of every believer, of every God-seeker, for every God-fearer that's maybe has just been around God and you saw the Charlton Heston movie, you know. You, it stirs the imagination because this is, this is a wild, crazy moment. And see, Moses, he was invited into a holy moment. He was invited into this holy encounter with a holy God. Now, let me say this about Moses. He wasn't at a prayer meeting. He was not at a revival. He wasn't at a conference. He wasn't even fasting and praying. All he was doing was tending sheep. Here's what you need to see first. God initiated this moment. He initiated this moment. It was not contrived of man, but God comes. And Moses is drawn in, and the Lord says, remove your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Now, here's the thing. The ground was not holy because it was special dirt. Man, I'll tell you what, the minerals in this dirt. Woo. No. The, the ground became holy. The dirt became holy because of the presence of the one standing on the ground. And he says to him, remove your sandals. Now I wore my slip-off shoes today. 
because I want you to see this. And so Moses is off in the distance. Or he look, looks off in the distance and he sees this burning bush that was being burned with fire, though it was not being burned. The leaves were still green on this bush. But yet it was burned with fire. And so he draws near. Because there's this intrigue. There's this interest. And so he begins to draw near. And as he's drawing near, he hears his name. Moses, Moses, come here. Hey, Moses, come here. And so he begins to walk towards it. And he goes, whoa, do not come near. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Remove your sandals. And so he removes the sandals. There's no holes in these socks today. These socks are not holy. So, 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 so he draws near. And I can just imagine this moment. Have you ever been in a moment where you've been so afraid you were trembling? Have you ever been in like this sacred moment that you knew it was sacred and it was holy and you were trembling? The amount of trembling that Moses had here I can't even imagine. So as he draws near and he's coming close, barefoot. And here's, here's what I want you to see. This was not simply an act of reverence. It wasn't like taking your hat off in the building, so to speak, like we are accustomed to here. But what it was like, it was the, uh, the unworthy Coming close to the worthy one. Here's what you need to understand. The worthy one initiated the invitation to the unworthy. He calls. He beckons. He calls to the unworthy and he says, come. And so Moses, what does he do? So he comes. And he's standing on this holy ground. The clean one extended an invitation to the unclean one. And he calls to Moses. And he's going to set him aside for a holy purpose. He calls Moses this murderer. He was a murderer. Did you hear that? He was a murderer. He committed great sin. He stuttered. Had personal weakness. But God selects him. He calls him out for a holy purpose. The word holy means this, to be set apart to the Lord. To be set apart to the Lord. And you'll see other words that signify the same truth, words like consecrate, you'll see words like purify, you'll see words like sanctify. All of this refers to the act of our participation of being holy. Okay? To be set apart to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Little did Moses know that this encounter was going to take him on a journey of a lifetime. Little did he know everything in his life was about to radically change because God initiated a holy moment in his life. Never the same man again, impacting people thousands of years later, all stemming from this one holy moment initiated by God. 
And as we fast forward through his life, we're going to see a few things emerge. First, through God, Moses gets the opportunity to give the law. He gets the opportunity to give the law. Here's what the book of Romans says, that the law is holy. Galatians says that the law is our tutor leading us to Christ. Christ said of himself, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. How many of you know that the the Ten Commandments are still a good idea? I'm telling you, here's the deal. I'm going to try to put my shoes back on without tripping. Here's the thing. The Ten Commandments would probably heal our nation pretty quick. It, probably, it would probably set a move of God loose at a, at a crazy amount of speed. And so that the law was holy and that, was be, and that the law was revealing the character of God. It was revealing the character of Christ. And then the second thing we see in Moses' life is we see some of the most dramatic encounters with God dramatic acts of God's power, the most dramatic acts of God's power in biblical history. Seas part, a pillar of fire by night leading them out, a pillar of smoke cloud leading them in the day. Some of the most profound things. I mean, one time people opposed Moses and the ground split wide open and the bad folk fell in. Some of the most crazy demonstrations of God's power. And all the while, God's promising them this huge thing. I'm going I'm to take you into the land flowing with milk and honey. I got this promised land reserved for you. He's making all of these promises about all that he's going to do. But you know, for Moses, it came to this real critical moment in his life. When God was fed up with the people and he's like, here, fine, you all can go and enjoy the blessing, but I'm not going. And this is what Moses says, if I can't have you, I don't want the promise. Because so many times we are more interested in the blessing and the provision of God than God himself. Now, here's the deal. I want to be in line with the blessing comes. Can anybody say yes? But does but at what point in time would we ever say that if I can't have you, I don't want anything? What good is the blessing without the blesser? So from this holy moment, the character of a holy God is revealed and the power of God is displayed, leaving Moses, the man of God, radically changed forever, desiring God himself above any other promise that he could ever offer. He was intoxicated with the Holy One. And all of it initiated by God, not man. God revealed himself as holy. He gave his holy law, displayed his power to a people in great need of him. Quite simply, I think God is calling us to holiness. And I'm not, this is not holiness like, well, you better mind your manners, brother. 
No, holiness, like I am setting my life aside for him because he has set his life aside for me. That I am in love with the holy God and I have a passion for his name. I want everything in my life to display his character, to display his love and to display the goodness of God. Now let's fast forward to David. David had just become king, and if you're turning in your Bibles, it was 1 Chronicles 13, is 13 and 15 is what we're going to read from, but starting with 13. But let me kind of set this, the stage for you. David had just become king. And so David makes this, this decision. He says, look, if I'm going to be king, then I want God's presence at the center of my kingdom. If I'm going to rule God, I want you there, bam, right beside me. And so what David does, one of his first acts of king, as king is he gets all the leading men of the nation together. And he says, hey, guys, I want, I want to go get the Ark of the Covenant and put it center stage in our kingdom. And everyone agreed. And see, because like in the generation before, in Saul's leadership generation, they never sought the Ark. It, it had just been left at somebody's house. The Ark of God was was really an afterthought. It was not a priority. Now, I'm not talking about Noah's ark. I'm talking about Moses' ark, okay, just to, for clarification. But let me explain a little bit about what this ark was. How many of you have ever seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about. Or the object, okay? That's kind of the object. But essentially, the ark was this golden treasure box that was built in the days of Moses. And it had three things inside of it. It had the Ten Commandments, Aaron's budded rod, and a jar of manna. Now, but, here, but here's what's amazing about it. It was, it, was, it was called the Ark of the Covenant because God had covenanted his spirit to abide over that ark, that his manifested presence would hover would hover over the ark, and the ark was to be regarded as very, very holy. So wherever the ark went, wherever the manifest presence of that the manifest presence of God was over this ark, it would dwell. And by the way, anytime the nation was to make a move and to move to go from this place to that place, they were all as a nation to get behind the ark and follow the presence. Okay? The presence of God was to leave, but it had been forgotten. Now, how many of you remember this phrase, holy of holies? Just by a show of hands real quick. Okay, all right, so y'all know what I'm talking about. The holy of holies. The Ark of the Covenant was what was center stage inside the holy of holies. Okay, so it was protected by a veil. See, the holy of holies, also known as the most holy place, was where the manifest presence of God was to abide. Okay, are you with me so far? So if you remember the stories about how whenever priests would have to make an offering before the Holy of Holies, 
that they would have to go through a process of consecrating themselves and tie a rope around their ankle? Remember this? Because if they went and made the offering and they didn't do it right, God would nuke them. And ain't, ain't nobody else going in there, so that's why they had that rope. They're going to pull that guy out. So the picture is, is that this Ark of the Covenant was incredibly sacred, incredibly holy. So back to David, 1 Chronicles 13, verse 7. And so remember, David wanted God's presence at the center of his kingdom. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ao drove the cart. Then David and all, the, all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. Man, it was a great day in church. I mean, things are happening. They're playing all the hottest music off of air one. I mean, it's happening, man. And, it, and from, from all appearances, this looks to be like a holy thing. By golly, this is a new cart, four-wheel drive, two oxen power. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm loaded with corniness. You just got to deal with it. Verse 9, and this is where it gets heavy, okay? And when they came to Shadon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. The threshing floor is symbolic of purification. It was the process of separating the wheat from the chaff. And so they came to this moment, and this apparently innocent moment, and they go across this purification area, this threshing floor where the wheat and the chaff are getting separated. And as it's bumping along, this ark is bumping along. It's not holding what it needs to hold properly. It can't handle what it needs to handle. And so Uzzah, in common sense, treated something common that was not common. And he places his hand on something very sacred to hopefully steady it. God lit him up. And David, man, God, I'm trying to seek you. I'm trying to do this thing right. We were having a great day in church till you killed somebody. See, the motive and the intent of his heart was good. I mean, he wanted God to be the center of his life. And so verse 11, so like so, many, so often when God messes up our plans, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So many important things in these few verses right here. It's so huge that we need to pay attention to. 
the first thing is, is that I want you to see is David got angry when God confronted him. Hey, when God confronts you and you get angry, that's normal. But hey, press in. Press in. There's wisdom in the rebuke and there's love in the rebuke. Here's the big thing. David was afraid of God that day. See, in modern Christianity, we talk so much about friendship with God that we can take for granted who it is that has chosen friendship with us. See, I think church culture today at large needs a healthy dose of the fear of God. Why? God is holy. See, we have our way. We have our own new little cart. We have our way. We have have this cart that really, you know, God is functional for me. It works. There's our way, then then there's his way. So the question is, is where is our fear of God? that we can get so comfortable with our pet theologies forgetting who this holy God is. Well, he'll forgive me. I'll go ahead and do it and ask forgiveness later. Be covered. He's good like that. God's massive rebuke of David, though, how many, how many of you can see that being a massive rebuke? Somebody gets killed at church. That, I mean, can you, can you see that? I mean, that's massive. But you know what it didn't put out? It didn't put out the fire in him to go and pursue the Lord. David asks himself, how can I bring his presence home to me? When you get rebuked, when you get chastised, when God confronts you, don't let it put the fire out. Say, God, how do I get this thing right in my life? Now jump over to 15, chapter 15. David wins a few battles. He takes out his anger on the Philistines and comes back. Chapter 15, verse 2. Then David said, no one, he got an education. No one may carry the ark but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark to minister before him forever. See, only a certain set-apart people were allowed to carry the presence of God, the ark of God. It was the Levites. By the way, if you're in Christ today, if you are a follower of Jesus, did you know that you're a priest? Go ahead and confess it. I'm a priest. Man, I didn't know this thing had a job description, you know. Yes, you're a priest. You are a carrier of the Holy One. Are you carrying Him well? Verse 11, skip down. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Elal, Amminadab. And he said to them, listen to this, you are the heads of the Father's houses. You're the head of father's houses of the Levites. Now, I want to give you something for free today that I think the Lord is wanting to speak to. It's not really in line with my sermon, but I feel like this is something that the Lord is on. Dads, heads of fathers, heads of homes. 
if you'll set apart your life for the Lord, it'll transform your family. Dads, if you'll set apart your life under the Lord, it'll transform your family. It can save your family. We can't always count on our wife to do all the praying. Amen? So that was for free. Okay. So he said to them, You are the head of the Father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him. Because we did not consult him. We had our way. About the proper order. Can somebody just say proper order? There's a thing about that. And so the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, their God of Israel. So instead of the new cart, David gets these priests together, the priests of God together, and says, sanctify yourselves to go get the ark. So here's the thing. There's a couple things I want you to see about the priest. It has massive new covenant implications. So the priest was set apart already just because they were born into the family. They were already born into the family of the Levites, so they were already sanctified. But then he says, because of the ministry that they were about to do, he said, now I want you to consecrate yourself to prepare yourself for service. Here's what I want you to see. As a new covenant believer, you, you in fact, were born holy. As soon as you were born again in, in Jesus Christ, you were actually born holy. Amen? But then there's our part there's our part of managing the holy temple. And that's just to consecrate and to sanctify and keep it holy. Does that make sense to you? So the priests were holy, but then they had to consecrate themselves to prepare them for service. You are a carrier of the Holy One. Hebrews 12 says that Without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we confuse the world when we make bold statements of faith and live just like them. So as a result, no one sees God in our life. Are you with me today? Okay, check this out, Isaiah 35. This will get you shouting. I'm going to read all 10 verses, but that's okay because, you know, we're in church and we can read the Bible. Because this is, this, I mean, the whole chapter is just awesome, but just let it, let it resonate with you, okay? The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Can anybody say amen to that? It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. In other words, the, the resources and the bounty of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. 
they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Woohoo! right? I mean, this is awesome. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make the firm, make firm the feeble knees. And say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. Hey, if God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, this is really good news. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Can anybody say hallelujah to that? That sounds like the unfolding of the gospel of the kingdom, right? Verse 7, the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes now all these seven verses sound very very awesome verse 8 and the highway shall be there and a road and this shall be called the highway of holiness You know, highways, the highway systems, even in the United States, is how goods and resources are transported from one place to the next. We propose to you today that the highway of holiness is how the goods and resources of the kingdom are transported. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. So even though you a fool, you're not falling off this road because there's keeping power in it. Man, I lost my way. My GPS is off. No, you're on the path. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up there. Here's what's important for you to know. This is some symbology saying Satan can't dwell there. that the highway of holiness rebukes the demonic horde. He said, so no ravenous beast shall go up on it. It shall be, not be found there, but the redeemed. How many redeemed are in here? Okay. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads and shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Who gets to walk on the highway of holiness? The redeemed do. The ransomed of the Lord. Those purchased by his blood. You know, the night when Jesus was about to be crucified, you know what he says? He says, Peter, Satan is coming, but he has nothing in me. But I'm praying that your faith not fail. I mean, here's what happens to us a lot of times is there's, there's something in us. Those somethings, whether we will admit it or not, is like having grenades strapped to your body. And whenever we live in such a way that we know that is not pleasing to the Lord, that we know that it's not His, His way. What happens is to us is that we provide inroads for the enemy. 
And whenever we provide inroads to the enemy, when we get really comfortable with certain things, what Satan does is he comes up and just pulls the pin on one of those grenades. He, he waits for that right time to pull the pin. Here's the thing. Holiness is not about legalism. It's not about works. What I'm talking about is being so in love with Jesus that your heart's desire is to please him and represent him well. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So the call to holiness is not about works today. It's about being in love. Check this out, Leviticus 11.45. Oh, my gosh, he's preaching from Leviticus. Help us. Well, just hold your horses. Leviticus 11.45. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. How many of us read this scripture like this? I'm the Lord who got you out of this mess. Now straighten up. Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Let me help you with the language here. I'm the Lord your God who delivered you from bondage to be your God. You shall be set apart to me, for I am set apart unto you. Leviticus 20, 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Let me help you with this. And you shall be set apart to me, for I am set apart, and I have separated you out from all the peoples of the earth that you should be mine. Is anybody getting happy in here? Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Check this out. You are a set-apart people to the Lord. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The idea of holiness has this covenantal language to it. Be set apart unto me, for I have set my, myself apart unto you. The Lord has committed his entire being to us. He committed his own son's blood for us. Now set your lives apart unto him. If you are a Christ follower today, you may not have read the fine print, but you are in covenant. You are the bride of Christ. Meaning this, he has completely set aside his life for you. Now, completely set aside your life for him. See, holiness is not a threat. 
It's an invitation. It's almost, it's almost like the exchange of wedding vows. I've set apart my life to you, hon. So now set apart your life to me. Do you see the beauty in this? That's what I want you to see today, is I want you to see the beauty in this. That holiness is the giving of ourselves to, the, to a holy God who has completely given himself to us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's our covenantal God pouring everything out for us. In the weeks to come, we'll continue to unpack this topic. But how many of you would say that this is a pretty new look at holiness for you? I mean, see, the kind of riches that I think my, my hope and prayer is is that it'll keep our lives, it'll save our lives, and, and hopefully set apart our lives for a holy purpose. In many ways, the call to holiness really is not as a threat but an invitation from God to come and join him in his purposes of building and establishing his kingdom. You see, there's an invitation here, folks. I hope you're hearing that. The call to holiness is this invitation to come and join him in this holy purpose, just as, just as Moses was set apart under the Lord for a holy call. Beloved, you are set apart and called for a holy purpose. I want to close with this verse right here. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Father has so obligated himself to us that he placed the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit in you is the seal of the covenant. That Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who lives in you, are you listening to me, is the seal of the covenant. The Holy One lives inside of you. See, when you were born again, you were initiated, God, you were God-initiated into a holy moment unto which the invitation is to where your life would never be the same again. Right? At salvation, you became a carrier of the Holy One. But the chances are that when it comes to setting our lives apart unto him, that maybe there's places in our life where we haven't been so great at it. Can I get an uh-huh on that? That there's things that we actually love more. 
that our affections are turned towards more other things. Other things have our attention more. That maybe we would be content with the blessing without the blesser. Chances are, maybe just maybe, we might have grieved the Holy One that's been living inside of us. Because, folks, there's nothing in our life that He doesn't, doesn't see. There is nothing hidden from His sight. But I want, you, I want you to know today that outside of His grace, we are all miserable sinners. Outside of His action, His holy initiated action on our behalf, that's where we are. But when we get indwelt, by the Holy One, we're invited into a life of eternal purpose. So here's what I want to do today. These altars are going to be open. I'm not going to have an altar team this morning. I may call you up later, altar team, so just go with the flow. But I want to open up these altars today. Really for you and for God. Because I think there's a handful of things that the Lord is speaking over. That I think even as I've spoken these words this morning, that for some of us there's there's a hunger in us that we've been asking the question, like kind of like, kind of like this feeling of what's missing, God. And God is inviting you to go deeper. And maybe it's not so much that you're entangled with junk, but you're going like, man, God, I haven't really set my life and my agenda over to you. And so this morning, God is inviting you to come deeper this morning. He's extending an invitation to go deeper with Him. It's like, God, I want to go all the way. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Secondly, I think there's, like many of us, if not all of us, we go like, God, I got some stuff. I've got some stuff that I need to deal with that I haven't dealt with. I've got some stuff hidden. By the way, that hidden stuff, the enemy's chomping at the bit to pull the pin on that grenade. That which is in the dark will always be brought to the light. I just need to unload some stuff. And then I think secondly, or thirdly, <laughs> whatever number I'm on. Then I also think that there's something that needs to happen in marriages today where maybe husband and wife come to the altar and just and they just say, you know what? From this point forward, we really want to follow the Lord. And this is not a deal where you're saying you haven't before or you haven't got it right before. This is kind of a deal of saying like, hon, let's go for God like we've never gone before. How many of you know there ain't nothing negative in that? And then fourthly, I just think that there might be a tug on your heart that I haven't even touched on. These altars are open. 
okay? See, here's, here's the deal. We're making our life open. When we do things like this, we are opening our life to a holy God who has the power to transform everything. Amen? Let's all stand. We can just bow our heads and just, I just want you to focus in on the Lord right here. Just begin to ask the Lord. What are you highlighting in my life today, God? Just begin to ask that question. These altars are open, and so you can come now. Thank you. Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. So, Father, now I just ask God right now that every place, God, where shame and embarrassment would have a hold, Lord, right now, God, I just ask that you break the power of shame and embarrassment, Lord, right now. God, that you break that power, Lord, that we would be set free, Father, to follow you, God, wholeheartedly with all of our being. 
You see, fear, we get afraid. We end up worshiping the wrong God and because we get so afraid, we end up holding on to things. We hold on to things that we think we're not powerful enough to let go of. Here's what you need to know. You are not powerful enough to let go of it. That's why you come before God. That's why you come before God because He's the one that blows it all away. Thank you, Father. I just feel like right now at this point that um talked about some things and and all of a sudden some strongholds got highlighted in you some things that and you just don't feel, you just don't feel adequate to break and so what we're going to do right now is we are going I'm going to invite you to come our altar team is going to be praying for the breaking of those strongholds so we're going to pray that God deliver you immediately how many of you know that you don't have the power to change yourself that you need power from God. Look, willpower plus plus moral high moral standards is failure every time. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of God. Amen? So we're going to be praying for freedom right now. And so I just want to invite you to come. Um, and uh, so at the altar team, we're just going to be doing business all the rest of this uh all the rest of this time so the altars are open you can come you can kneel and you can pray but here's the deal do business with God do business with God there's a calling on your life 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 looking for your yes. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you, Father, for your people today. I pray, Father, now, God, just for freedom, just like never before, to come in a mighty way. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the provision that you made in Jesus for us. And so, Father, help us to walk according to that covenant. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray today.